Hello and welcome to Asbury Methodist Church's podcast. My name is Forrest Vinny. I am the lead pastor at Asbury. We hope this podcast will enrich your walk with Christ, increase your knowledge of the Bible, and I hope it will be at least a little bit inter- excuse me, entertaining. Almost had a cough there. We are this week in the book of Exodus, right after Genesis, and the, and the story picks up more or less where Genesis left off. The descendants of Abraham are in Egypt. They go there because of a famine, and you know, the story goes, of course, that Joseph sold into slavery in Egypt, has this God-given ability to interpret dreams, this... Um, connects him to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh has a dream warning him that there will be seven years of incredible uh, fertility and productivity for, for the soil, for the agricultural lands, followed by seven years of extreme famine. And so Joseph is able to warn him that the Lord is telling him to stockpile for the next seven years as much food as possible. So that during these seven years of famine, the people won't starve. And obviously they stockpile enough to not only take care of the people of Egypt, but also refugees coming in from other countries, including Joseph's brothers and his father and all of their families, which could be a pretty significant number of people. Now there's nothing actually unusual about that. Egypt very commonly was a place that people fled to during times of famine, because Egypt was sort of the breadbasket of the ancient world. The Nile River Valley was incredibly fertile and very reliable, uh, because it was a a constant water source uh, in a part of the world where a lot of the sources of water were not so common, uh, not so constant, right? If If you're living in the land of Israel, as we would call it, or the land of Canaan, as they would call it then, um, you're very heavily dependent on rain to get your crops to grow. Um, the same is true of Mesopotamia, even though they've got those two big rivers, which gives them a bit more consistency. You can still have bad years. Um, obviously, most of North Africa does not have large rivers running through it. They're heavily dependent on rain. So if you have periods where there's not a whole lot of rain, you go to Egypt because the Nile River constantly flowing and it floods every year. And that sounds like a bad thing, but actually it's a really good thing because it floods, deposits um, all kinds of silt, very fertile soil along its banks. And then, and of course, you know, it's all adding water to the soil. Um, so the Nile River Valley and especially the Nile River Delta are extremely fertile and very consistent. They're pretty much always going to grow crops. Very unusual for there, for there to be periods of difficulty growing crops in Egypt. And it's not entirely clear, by the way, if this famine that's hitting is, is actually... It's not clear if the problem is that Egypt itself is struggling to grow food or if... Um, the surrounding peoples are in such dire need of food that Egypt needs the excess in order to ensure that everyone is still fed. Either way, um, 
They come there during a time of famine. They're given land in the Nile River Delta to settle on. And things seem good. But then you have this thing happen here in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase and, in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they sent taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built supply cities, Python and Ramesses, for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. Now, I said last week that um, it's hard to date any of the events before Moses. And that's true. And that means it's really hard to figure out when this happened. There's not really, uh, there's not a clear record of when the Hebrew people were slaves in Egypt. Egypt was not particularly prone to using mass slave labor. Um, And you'll notice, by the way, it didn't talk about them building the pyramids. They didn't build the pyramids. In fact, um, the pyramids are... They are almost incomprehensibly ancient. Um, I'm, I'm pulling up the dates on the pyramids right now. Um, the, the pyramids, they, they are so old that they are probably a thousand years old by the time Joseph came to Egypt. So let that sink in for a bit, right? Joseph comes to Egypt, the pyramids, already there. Um, right, the, the Great Pyramid of Giza, the most famous of them, was built sometime around the year 2570 BC. That's ancient. We tend to not realize how old these are. Um, one of the other pyramids, the, the Pyramid of Khafre, which is one of the other three famous ones, uh, would have been built sometime around, well, more or less the same time, 2570. And then there's another one, uh, the Pyramid of Menkare, that's 2510. So these big famous pyramids, the most famous pyramids of Egypt, they all are probably close to a thousand years old already when Joseph gets there. They are already ancient. And I, I mean, I just find that, that's just amazing. That's so incredible to think about. Uh, the, the, this is one of the reasons why those pyramids are so amazing and so uh, 
and just so so interesting is that they I mean literally by the time this story in the book of Genesis the beginning of the Bible by the time this takes place they're a thousand years old already um, it's just wild the the history in that place and the amount of time that has passed now we can't again we can't date this story exactly I have a theory I'm not the only one who has this theory, by the way. Um, and, and to be clear, there is no archaeological evidence to back this theory up, okay? Um, the, in fact, this whole, this whole part of the Bible, okay, the, the, the whole story of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, on into Moses, there is no archaeological evidence for these stories yet. I'm convinced that someday they'll find it, but it hasn't been found yet. I believe these were real people. These were real men, and I believe that these stories do represent legitimate historical events. We just haven't found the archaeological evidence for them yet, and that's one of the reasons why it is so hard to date them. But I have a theory. I have a theory. Um, so, right around 1650 B.C., A group of people who are known to history as the Hyksos dynasty rise to power in Egypt. Now, the, the Hyksos were... It's a bit interesting. They were kind of well. They're kind of shrouded in mystery, to be honest with you. Um, however, they clearly spoke a Semitic language. Hebrew would also be a Semitic language. Um, so would Arabic, by the way. They're related, um, and the Hebrews are a Semitic people. Now, we know the Hyksos spoke a Semitic language because we know that their names, which have been recorded, they left records behind, where their names were Semitic. So they are a, an ethnically Semitic people, which makes them ethnically distinct from the native Egyptians. And here's a fun fact, by the way. No one knows ethnically what the, the ancient Egyptians looked like. We have no clue. I mean, we have the artwork they left behind, but artwork is heavily stylized. We don't know if that's a, a, a real accurate representation of them. So for all we know, the ancient Egyptians looked, you know, we, we, we tend to depict them as looking like modern North Africans, but actually a lot of the modern North Africans are descended from Semitic people. So the ancient Egyptians very well could have looked like sub-Saharan Africans. You just don't know. What we do know is these guys look different. This is a different ethnicity. These are foreign people who have come in, speaking a different language, and they rise to power. They rule over. They rule over ancient Egypt. So, 
Joseph comes to Egypt. He's Semitic boy, speaking a Semitic language. And the people in power are Semitic peoples speaking a Semitic language. And, you know, this is, so not the same language, but pretty close. Um, and so there's probably, probably some natural affinity there. It's probably one of the reasons why the Pharaoh was so okay with not only giving Joseph a, a really important position, but also giving such valuable, fertile land to his family. Now, they only are in power for about a hundred years, and so in 1550 BC, which again, just it's a thousand years after the pyramids are built. Just for reference, by the way, when the pyramids were built, there were still woolly mammoths alive on planet Earth. That's how old those things are. So 1550 BC, the native peoples of Egypt rise up in rebellion over the Hyksos dynasty. They aren't fans of the Hyksos dynasty. Um, it, it's kind of an odd thing because the Hyksos, even though they're not native Egyptians, even though they're clearly from somewhere in what we would call Canaan and they've kind of migrated in, they adopt all of the ancient Egyptian cultural practices. They adopt the Egyptian religion, the Egyptian uh, royal titles. They use the Egyptian hieroglyphic languages. Um, very interesting. But... Um, but they're for what you know they're not the native people, and so they're not popular. So they get overthrown. And so that's what this new pharaoh who arises is. And um, what happens? So what what happens now is the native Egyptians have overthrown these people who they consider their oppressors. And so even though the Hebrews are not technically the same people as the Hyksos, they look like them, they sound like them, and there's a lot of them, and they've got this really valuable land here in the Nile River Delta that's very fertile. They get roped in with the Hyksos and, and enslaved. That's my theory. Now again, there is at the moment no historical archaeological evidence for that at all. But there's, not, there's also not any archaeological evidence that the Hebrews were ever slaves in Egypt. There is, there is none of that. There's no archaeological evidence that they were ever at Mount Sinai. That doesn't mean it wasn't true. It just means that we haven't found the archaeological evidence for it yet. I think it's completely true. I'm convinced it's true. In large part because this story, this Exodus story is the foundational story for the Jewish people, and has always been. This is the story from which they draw their identity, that they were once slaves in Egypt and they were carried out of it. I simply do not think that would be true. I do not think it would carry that much significance for them. I do not think it would be so persistent in their cultural memory for so many thousands of years if it did not really happen. This is one area where historians and archaeologists just have let their hubris kind of uh, overtake their reasoning skills, um, right? There is no historical evidence for it. There is no archaeological evidence for it. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. And and the best evidence for it is that this entire people group, the Jewish people, have believed for thousands of years that this is where they come from. It's a part of who they are. 
that simply doesn't happen if, if the event in question is made up. Uh, so I'm convinced it's true, and I think that that provides a really interesting historical explanation for why it happened. So they don't build the pyramids because those already exist. They build these cities. They build other stuff. Um, and the story of, of them getting... So Exodus 1 through... I want to say 18-ish. That's the story of how they get out of Egypt. The rest of Exodus, all the way through chapter 40, and then all of Leviticus, is this really long period where the story actually seems to come to a standstill because they're at Mount Sinai, and they're at Mount Sinai for about two years. Um, so you can kind of break Exodus up into two sections there. You have the the actual Exodus part, and then you have the Mount Sinai part, where they're taught by God how to be his people. This period when they're in the wilderness is when God shapes them and forms them into his people. And the wilderness will forever be a metaphor for the Jews about drawing close to God and letting him teach you and shape you and form you. And we're going to get into the, the details of Exodus next week because we're going to be reading through it for a couple of weeks. I want to, to donate some time, to spend a lot of time in the podcast on it. Um, so this is just the overview of how it begins and some historical background of it. Um, I, it's fascinating, but, but to just remember, as you read through it, there is real history here. Just because the historians and the archaeologists haven't found the evidence, that doesn't mean a thing. It's been proven time and time and time again that when, when large groups of people, whole ethnic groups, have these origin stories in their, in their mythologies, um, no matter how outlandish it seems, there's a basis of truth there. People are really good. People are very, very good at preserving their own history, even if they don't have the ability to write it down as it's happening. They preserve the stories with remarkable accuracy. And I would suspect that given the particular importance of this people group and of their origin story, that God himself probably ensured that the story stayed more accurate than most. So I think... We don't have to take this story with a grain of salt. I don't think we have to worry about the archaeology. I think we can take it on faith that this is true. This happened. Um, which means we can also say that so this was going on sometime around 1600 BC or so, which, interestingly enough, lines up with what the Bible tells us about the 400 years of being enslaved. We, we can pinpoint the Exodus and Moses' life sometime around the year 1200. So if Joseph comes into the land about 50 or so years after the Hyksos dynasty rises to power, that gives them about another 50 or so years to settle in the land and grow and prosper before that dynasty falls. And then they've still got about 400 years or so 
it lines up. It lines up really well. So that's why that's my theory. I'm not the only one who has that theory, um, but I think it works really well with the information we have, and I'm convinced it's true. Um, it doesn't necessarily matter much for the interpretation of the story, but it gives you some background and just reassures you that there is there is real history going on here. These are real, real people, real places, real events. And it gives some explanation as well as to why the Egyptians were so quick to enslave and mistreat the Hebrews. Because to them, these are the oppressors who ruled over them for a century before they were able to win back their independence. It's not true. The Hebrews were not the oppressors. They, they were not the same thing as the Hyksos dynasty, I don't think. Um, but they looked like them. They sounded like them. They certainly collaborated with them and benefited from them. Um, and it's not even clear, by the way how oppressive the Hyksos dynasty was. It might not have been particularly oppressive, it might just have been that these were not native people and yet they were ruling over them and that created some resentment, for all we know. We just don't know yet. So, that's the story. That's the background of Exodus. We'll be back next week with some more details on the story itself. Until then, God bless. <laughs>